Good morning, Chair City Church, huh? Thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for your enthusiasm. We are blessed. Say with me. Say, we are blessed. We are. We are blessed to be here, to be together with one another, to gather in community in a godly way to celebrate God, to be here now, to have the, the, the privilege of reflecting back and learning about Jesus' final days. Huh? To be here on this Palm Sunday, this, this glorious day that's preceding Easter, and, and really know Jesus for who he is, to recognize him for who he is, and to worship him for who, for who he is. Yes? Now, this morning... Now, that, that's what we're doing last week and this week. We are looking at the final days of Jesus, of his life. Uh, now, when you came in this morning, you were handed a, uh, we call them devotionals, meaning they're little short stories, maybe one minute to two minute, and it's going to give you a blip about Jesus' days leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection. Some Bible verses are in there. I so encourage you each day to take that minute or two and to infuse that time of solitude and and, and, and um, connection with God and communion with God in your day to pause and read those devotionals and to just bring you into a good place when you come in here next week. I was just telling Ron, you know, different people, when you, you come in on a Sunday, sometimes just life gets you, right? You wake up certain thinking, certain way of being, and, and you want to grab that posture, that, that way of being, and you want to just say, hey, wait a minute. It, it's kind of like, let me pause right here. It's kind of like um, working out. Do you ever sometimes before you go to bed at night you, or at the end of the week, you want to do a little bit of a workout? It, makes you, it just makes you feel better. Like, okay, if I ever it anywhere here, I can kind of make up for it now, right? Or am I the only one who does that, okay? You got three push-ups before you get to bed. All right. Chocolate cake's got nothing on me now, right? But, but really to, to turn around and, uh, and just take that time to sit before God and, uh, and speak to him and, and, and to pray to him before you go to sleep at night, uh, it, it's just meaningful. And so that's what we're doing here, uh, you know, and, and before you come in here on, on a Sunday morning where, you know, God, I do, I believe every time you come in here on a Sunday morning, God has something for you, right? You know, we come in here on the lookout for God and we leave on the lookout for people. Yes, all right? John Piper, good man. And so consider that. Consider just, just checking yourself and, bringing yourself before God and saying, God, I am blessed. I'm coming in to gather together to be a blessing to others, yeah? All right, so the question I have for you today is, what makes for a memorable entrance? You know, in our culture, it's kind of like part of, you know, the, the landscape. It, you know, it's a big deal to make a grand entrance, right? You see it at weddings, huh, with a bride. I remember when, when Christy made her grand entrance at our wedding ceremony, you know, the doors were closed, everything was quiet, people stood up, they opened them up, and boom, literally like the air came out of me. I, I began to like shake, and like my brother had to hold me up. It's a true story. My face, all these weird looks on my face. It's a phenomenal entrance, huh? And even at the wedding, uh, at the reception afterwards, you know, the bride, you know, the family comes in, and the bridal party comes in. It's just a big deal. How about sports, football games, right? Football teams get the banner, they're running through, break through the banner, fireworks, pumping music. It's just, it's about a grand entrance. And yet the most memorable entrance in human history, really, certainly I think so, but really even likely historically, is the entrance of Jesus 
our Jesus Christ, huh? No music, no fireworks, and here comes the king of the universe. King of the universe, then king of the universe, now. And you see this story in each of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're gonna jump into Luke chapter 19 today. We're gonna read about the triumphal entry of Jesus. Jesus is coming off a, a busy season, a busy day. You know, recently raising Lazarus from the dead. That's, that's a schedule, huh, right? And in doing that, he, of course, draws a lot of attention, right? And, and, and not only because of the, the magnificence of the feat that just happened, raising somebody from the dead, That'll get people talking, but the amount of people that were there to talk, it was the beginning of the Passover week, and thousands upon thousands of people were kind of descending on Jerusalem. And what do you think, right in the middle of all that talk and discussion, what do you think they were talking about, part of it? I, I think it's really reasonable, not a fraudulent jump, to say they were talking about this guy Jesus who raised this guy Lazarus from the dead, just circulating amongst them. And, all the, and they were talking about Jesus and his, his unique teachings and his bold teachings with authority. And all this is now leading up to this moment, this stirring, this anticipation of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Let's read Luke chapter 19. We're going to read a bunch of verses. Jesus says, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, he's talking to his disciples, and as you enter it, you will find a coat tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the coat, its owners asked them, why are you untying the coat? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the coat, and put Jesus on it. It's a precious job, man. As he went along... People spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples, meaning tell them to shut up. I tell you, he, Jesus, replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, Jesus wept over it. We'll find out why in the coming verses. In verse 42, Jesus said, even if you, even you, had only known. See, see meaning there was something they needed to know, there was something they needed to recognize. That on this day, Jesus says, what would bring you peace, but it is now hidden from your eyes. Again, a lack of recognition. Verse 43, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize. Say that word with me, recognize. You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So, what's happening here is there were things that people didn't recognize. They didn't recognize that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was God. They expected Jesus 
to be who they wanted him to be for their reason and for their purpose, albeit a reasonable one, but an inferior one to what God had called Jesus for. As a result, they didn't recognize God's plan, his purpose, or his timing. Have you ever had difficulty recognizing something or someone? Huh? When we were in the middle of the uh, building renovation, I, we, were, we were like smack dab in there. And um, really, as I look back now, there's so many, it's, you know, you look back like, how, I mean, aside from the en- enormous renovation that took place and all that went into it, and all of us that were in it together, a lot of us had some difficulty during this year. And one of them was, was Jim Murphy. Some of you know Jim. You're familiar with him. And uh, Jim started coming down with these kidney stone attacks. And, and they were pretty severe. If anybody's had them, you know they're... If you don't have them, you're thinking, how bad could it be? No blood, no broken bones. Listen, I used to think the same thing. I, I used to make fun of my father when he was rolling around on the floor. And, uh, it's, and then I, it happened like three years ago. And it, they're brutal. Just, it's, like, it's like taking a bunch of razor blades, making them ball of them, lighting them on fire, and just sticking it down somebody's throat. It's just horrible. So Jim is coming down with these kidney stone attacks, and the way they're coming on him, it's kind of confusing, and he's having them in inopportune times. I mean, it's never a good time to have a kidney stone attack, but I mean, but like, you know, like, so he's out in Boston with his wife, and he has a kidney stone. He's got to go, he goes to the hospital there in Boston. Next thing you know, he's in a hospital in UMass. Then he's in, a, you know, and he's here. And I'm going to see him in UMass. And, and, and then, you know, they're not treating him well. There's some confusing with medication, what's going on. So it's not like in between he's doing okay. It's not subsiding. He's really not himself. He's struggling just really physically, emotionally. Now he has another one, and, and he's got to go to the hospital here in Haywood. You know, and it's towards the evening. I think it's about like maybe 8, 9 o'clock at night, maybe a little later. And so I go down there. And, and he's just about, I mean, the guy's been going on for like two weeks now. He's, he's, about to, he's at the end of his thread at his rope. And I go there to calm him down, to pray with him, to talk with him. And he's just all over the place. He's like, I can't take this anymore. I got, I got to leave. I'm like, Jim, you, you just, just relax. You got to stay here. No, no, I, I can't take it. I'm leaving. I just, I can't take these places anymore. And he gets up and he starts to walk out. See, here's the problem. He's already changed into one of those gowns, you know. <sighs> you know, and, and they're not meant to be discreet or modest. They're just not. And so he's, he walks out, just storms out of the room. He's walking down the hall, and he emerges from it. And I'm trying to stay close enough to, like, help him, but not too close that they would think I know him. It's just one of those moments, man. And I'm trying to keep my head down at the same time. Like, I just, so, like, what a way to spend a Saturday night, right? Like, you know, they don't teach you this stuff in Bible college. You don't hear about it. You never pray for this stuff. God called me to walk behind this deranged Irish older man while he's exposing himself to me. It's just, it's not like it doesn't work that way. So anyway, so, uh, okay, so we make it through the night. A uh, few days later, things really haven't improved. They've actually worsened for him. And uh, I'm driving, and uh, my father-in-law is with me. He's driving. He had just gotten a new phone, my father-in-law Lloyd. And I was thinking of Jim and praying for him, and I don't know what happened in that moment. Truly, it wasn't God answering prayer, so I want to back that up because uh, I'm not proud of what I'm about to tell you. But I, uh, I said, hey, Lloyd, g- give me your phone. He said, well, I mean, just, just give it to me. I, I, I got to call Jim. He said, well, well, why don't you use your phone? I said, well, because he'll recognize my number. Give me your phone. <laughs> and so I turned around, and I called Jim, and he answered the phone, and I said, 
Hello, is James Murphy there? <laughs> he says, uh, it's me. You see, G he was waiting for a doctor to call. He was desperately waiting for a doctor to call or help him. To, to, you know, and they said, all right, we're going to have a specialist call you. And he's waiting for a doctor to call him to give him some answers from some tests they had taken. So I says, James, this is Dr. Tang? <laughs> Hello, James. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm not, I'm not well. I'm just, thank you, doctor. I'm glad you called. Says, James, I have some questions for you. Are you having pain? Oh, yeah, I'm having, oh, I'm having pain. It's terrible. I said, okay, James, is there pain on your right side in the ribs? Yeah, uh, no, is there pain on the left side, Jimmy? Yeah, yeah, on the left side, but sometimes on the right too. Okay, without the details, I work my way down into his anatomy, okay? <laughs> in descriptive ways. Pretty much I degrade the guy, man, you know? <laughs> I'm going to little parts, I'm, I'm like, you know, just ask him this question. So finally now, after I've worked my way through the anatomy, if you will, okay, the personal parts, asking him questions there, and I can hear him like starting to just, you know, just, I, I know, like, he's starting to lose it a bit. I'm like, James, I have a question for you. When you urinate, do you stand up or do you sit down? <laughs> he's the pause, he's like, uh, he's like, uh, I don't know. I, uh, I guess I sit down. James, this is the problem, James. You cannot sit down. This is the whole problem, James. And I'm thinking that, and something came up on me, I was gonna keep going. But some said, he's just gonna go berserk. <laughs> So I said, so I have this, he said, basically, then I said some words that, to reveal it's, it's me. You know, I, when, I, when I want to get on James, James Murphy eats worms. So I, so then I said, James, have you eaten any worms lately? And then he knew it in his silence, and I thought it was going to come, the vulgarity. He just started hysterically laughing, it worked out well, thank God. So, so the thing, what I was trying to get to is that Jim didn't recognize me. With my accent, I mean, come on, I've, I've got an accent, right? There are times I don't talk to people for 15, 20 years. They know just who I am. And I don't do, a, I, I don't do like some of you can do that really well. I don't, I don't do the good impersonations at all. I don't know if I, who I was trying to be. So, but Jim didn't recognize me as well as he knows me, talks to me, oh, might be, maybe every day, right? Okay. So here we are back at the triumphal entry. We've got to try and do that now. Go back to the triumphal entry. We've got Jesus, God in human flesh. He's standing right before the people. Their Messiah, the one who brings peace, the one they've been longing to experience is right there with them. And they didn't recognize him. And that's because some things are hard to recognize. It's hard to recognize the presence of God when you're asking what disguise is he wearing? Meaning you're, you're not informed. Meaning maybe you're not seeing what you want to see. Uh, maybe you've not really taken the time to just uh, um, reconcile what you perceive God to be with who he truly is and what he's revealed himself to be in the Bible. My goal was that Jim would not recognize me. God's goal is that you would know who he is, right? So he tells you about himself ahead of time in the Bible. And he told those people about himself ahead of time. He said that the Messiah would come to Bethlehem, would be born to a virgin. This is what the prophet said. 500, be 500 years before the triumphal entry, this is what was written about Jesus, that the Messiah would come to Bethlehem, born of a virgin. And this is how you can recognize who he is. And then 
Yes, and he's going to be born of a virgin. So yeah, he's going to be disguised, but it's going to be a noble disguise, right? And we're going to tell you in advance what he's going to be, his disguise. And then read about what the prophet said 500 years earlier about Jesus coming in to Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This was written 500 years earlier. Zechariah says, this is going to be your Messiah. Know this. And when you see this happening, he is amongst you. He is present. He wants to be known, yet it's difficult to recognize the presence of God. Many of us, some of us have difficulty recognizing the presence of God, even when he's right upon us, even when he's calling out to us, when he's yielding down and inclining to us to lift us up. They could not see that Jesus was fulfilling the Passover. It was a, a holiday, a kind of a solemn, sacred holiday that they were celebrating amongst each other. It had been instituted way back in the time of Moses in the history of the nation of Israel. If many, many of you are familiar with Moses and the Ten Commandments. The Jewish people were in bondage and slavery to the nation of Egypt. God, working through Moses now, has sent nine plagues upon Egypt, and they will not relent their oppressive behavior to the Jewish people. They will not set them free. One last plague now is to come upon them. It's going to be the death of every firstborn. It's a brutal plague. And God tells Moses to tell the Israelites the only way they'll escape this, because, you know, they weren't perfect either. They were sinful people too. God says, death is coming to all those who've disobeyed me. And by the way, the Israelite people, they were struggling their own disobedience in order for there to be an escape, a deliverance. Every Israelite home must sacrifice. There must be a blood sacrifice. They're going to sacrifice a lamb, take the shed blood of that lamb, and paint it over the lintel and the doorposts. And, if, and when they do that, when the angel of death comes, to take that firstborn, the life of that firstborn, if there's blood over the doorpost and lintel, then the angel of death will pass over that home and they will be spared. And all of Israel, the nation of Israel, their firstborn were, and all the firstborn of Egypt perished and died that terrible night. And now, that's the Passover. So we fast forward, the time of Jesus, and Jesus is coming in, this time of celebration. It's, it's this Passover celebration an annual festival. Four days later from when the time there, you know, glad to see him, four days later from this time, Jesus would be crucified on the cross. He fulfilled the Passover to be the substitute sacrifice for our sin. That's what was happening there. Jesus was our Passover. Death is now passing us over because what Jesus did for us, yes? Because we believe wholeheartedly, passionately, and deeply in Jesus, death passes us over. We have victory over death. That's what we celebrate on Easter. We are celebrating the resurrection, but in totality, we're celebrating that our God who was crucified on the cross shed his blood for our sin, that we, that death would pass us over and eternity would be for us, right? We celebrate that. The first Palm Sunday, Jesus was really not in great disguise. 
He was noble. God had made him known. But every, many of the people there, they were looking for something different. Because at times we create God in our image and in our purpose. Like when I say death is passing us over, it's just, I always say it, it's got to mean something to you. It's got to float your boat a little bit. I check myself sometimes and say, Dave, pause. Death has passed you over. Your future is filled with hope and eternity. You got you to gotta do that. Otherwise, it's like, yeah, you know. Give me. It, it, it just doesn't. And that's what the enemy wants. He wants the greatest event in the history of humankind. He wants the greatest benefit provided to you by an almighty God to seem, to seem you know, inferior, in, insufficient, huh? insignificant. Don't allow that to happen. Because then you'll wind up seeing God for who you need him to be or want him to be and missing the God right before your very eyes who's in your presence. They did not realize that. They're throwing their cloaks down in front of him. They're yelling out to him when they threw the palm branches down there in front of him, you know. That's a way of, of just bringing out uh, kind of joy and salvation. Joy and salvation. Huh? But they're doing all that because their minds are on their own agenda. They're joyful, and, and they believe they're being saved, but it's, it's something related to their own agenda. And sometimes this can creep into our relationship with Jesus. And, and that's why our relationship with Jesus can play out in kind of a distorted way from what God has called us to. It's often why we're mired in some of the difficulties that we struggle with and, and some of the dysfunctions or disorders or, or issues we have Huh? Or, or insufficiencies, or why we wind up here, and we're like, how do we get here? We should be here, is because we're seeing God for who we need Him to be and who we want Him to be, not who God truly is. Huh? We're missing the God that's right before our eyes. And because we might have a particular agenda, although it seems reasonable, it could even be admirable, it's far short of the God who is present with us, what He's calling us to. They're calling, uh, and, and the, the, the palm branches are kind of they're like flags, you know, if you will. Like the, and the reason why they're like flags and they're waving them is because they're making a political statement. It's like if you were to get out there with the flag of the United States and just be waving it and waving it. That's what they're doing there. This is a political statement they're making. They're saying Hosanna over and over and over. And what the word Hosanna means is save now. Save now, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. Save us now. Meaning right now we want you to save us from what? From Rome, from the tyranny and the oppression of Rome. Save us now. The people were looking for the beginning of a political coup, the beginning of a political takeover, the toppling of Rome so that Israel could reign and be free from Roman oppression they wanted the material jesus was bringing the spiritual they wanted physical freedom jesus was bringing spiritual freedom do you hear me the spiritual freedom that brings brings freedom from sin from ungodly oppression from sinful oppression in our lives they wanted material jesus was bringing them spiritual i want to pause there I paused when I got to this part, and I said, you know, 
I had to check myself, Dave, where are you? What do you desire? What are you asking from God? Do you continually look for spiritual freedom? Do you really look for spiritual strength? Are you calling out to God to increase your spiritual awareness of him? And your, is that what you want? Do you want spiritual freedom to continue to increase in your life, Dave, so that you can know God intimately more and more? That's important for two reasons. One, the obvious, right? That spiritual freedom. I mean, it just sounds good, right? Heck, even if you don't believe in God, it sounds good. Spiritual freedom. But here's the danger of not doing that. If you don't value spiritual freedom, if you're not hungry and panting and desiring for spiritual freedom, if you don't see God in that way, that you, 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 what you do is you miss the presence of God. And now you're living out your life kind of more inclined to the physical freedom, which, by the way, is, is not necessarily bad. Most of the time, it's not. It's reasonable. It, it, it's, it, it, speaking practically in the physical material realm, it, it, it's, it's practical. But it's so secondary. I could even say necessary, but secondary. And here's what happens. Let me bring this kind of together for you. When you're not hungering, thirsting for the spiritual freedom that Jesus brings and you're missing the Jesus that's right there and you're seeing the Jesus that you've kind of, you know, created and formed gradually, you know, what, you know where you land on? Disappointment. You become disappointed with Jesus. You become disappointed with God. And some just with very shortly kick out and leave. Some just wind up walking through life with this kind of a, I don't know, like a really... What's the word? Let me be gentle. Um, a clouded faith, a weary faith in God. And I'm using faith, I'm trying to be gentle there too, meaning your, your relationship with God, your understanding of God, your, your experience with God is really so insufficient to what God has called it to be. In fact, you don't actually have spiritual freedom. You, you, you've concocted something here where you're literally still somewhat in bondage or you, you're still carrying the burden that, that God calls in Hebrews for us to cast off. You're still kicking around the sin that's entangling your life up in here or here and there, right? And what happens is you're disappointed. You, you still had that experience with Jesus. So you can't. It's like a golfer getting a hole in one. He keeps coming back, and he's. Like, we're getting close to you. I'm not going to say the S word, but you know what? Meaning, he, you're, not, you're not good at it, but you, it happened once. So you just keep. You had that experience with Jesus. You, you're connected with people and community, which is cool. So this is meaningful to you. So you, you don't want to detach. You keep kind of dragging this Christian thing along. And more than not, you're often disappointed with God. Which, what do you do then? You double down, right? You double down on, on your agenda. And you're missing the presence of a holy and mighty living and loving God, huh? Right? All this celebration is taking place that first Palm Sunday was all for who they were creating Jesus to be, what they wanted him to be. Now, when they found out Jesus was not the person that they wanted him to be, that they expected him to be, they changed their loyalty. Just like Red Sox fans do when their teams are stinking it up, right? <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't use the S word on me now. Come on. Fair is fair. And this explains this is what's going on. Four days later, the same people that are hailing him, Hosanna, and waving the flags at him, they're shouting out for him to be crucified. They're calling for his crucifixion, his brutal death. 
hailing him as king, their king. <laughs> Disappointment. What? What? Now, you know what? Crucify him. Now, a little dramatic, a little bit of a stretch. I'm telling you, I want you to pause and think, man, is there a part of me that lands in here somewhere? Okay? Uh, yes, we want to heal Jesus as king because he is our king. Before he's anything else, lover, friend, this and that, he is our king. But then, when that disappointment comes in, when we expect and it's not there, do we then, okay, maybe we don't go to crucify him, but maybe we crucify God's agenda in our life. Huh? Maybe, we're again, we're, we're struggling here. Huh? And you don't want to be anywhere even remotely close to that place. Huh? We want to be all in on Jesus' agenda, on what he came for. Look, we want to recognize the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. When I was on the phone with Jim that day, you know, he didn't recognize me. The person who would talk to him, the person who comforted him. Now, granted, I was deceiving him. That's another story. But... <laughs> But really, I mean, I, I, I'm telling you, if, if, and it's because he really, he wasn't in the right place. And that's not his fault, but, you know, but he, he was, well, actually, I probably could find some fault in him, but we'll talk about <laughs> But, you know, the one who comforted him, who loves him, who cares for him, who prayed for him on the phone, in person, he, he just, he was missing that, huh? The first Palm Sunday, the creator of all that exists was standing right in the midst of those people, and they did not recognize him right there. Listen, now granted, I was bringing humor. Well, for me, it was funny. But Jesus was bringing peace. He was bringing the people peace, spiritual peace, an inner peace, a peace that's saying you can now know God in the greatest of ways. Now that no matter what's going on around you, whether somebody's oppressing you or not oppressing you, whether you have all the riches in Rome or not, because, you know, suicide in Rome is rampant with all their riches. They're abandoning children. Divorce rate was like something like 80, 90%. Suicide was off the charts. I mean, come on. So wherever you are, you're going to really have peace. Many of us struggle with the presence of God, with really reconciling this. I think many of you get where I'm coming from. It's just that reconciliation part that's hard to just really be still and just say, God is present with me. The presence of God is here. And then to begin to just, just, just lean into that and just dwell in that truth. Maybe it's because there are two lessons that we struggle to learn. The first one is join God's kingdom. Join God's kingdom. <laughs> you know, it's not an easy one to grasp and embrace. Join the kingdom of God. Why? Because really it's kind of a continuation of what we're saying. Sometimes we, we've got to dismantle our kingdom to, in order to join God's kingdom. Now, no, you don't, let, me, let me say that doctrinally proper. You, you don't have to dismantle your kingdom to come to Jesus. But as you begin now to follow him, then yes, every step following Jesus is a step away from your kingdom and a dismantling of your kingdom, right? The, the more you are going to really dwell in the presence of God, the more you're dismantling of your own kingdom and joining enthusiastically and passionately God's kingdom. Huh? We have these, you know, things that we want Jesus to do for us. And, and again, many of them are legitimate and reasonable, but, but secondary 
to Jesus' agenda of spiritual freedom and dwelling in the presence of God. So perhaps maybe what we're thinking out of our agenda, maybe that's not the time for it or that's not the proportion of it. And often, as it says in Ephesians 3.20, that God will do more than we've asked for, more than we can measure, more, you know, more than we can even dream of in our life. You know, we need to line up with God when our moral codes don't line up with Jesus' agenda. We gotta, we gotta say God is present with us. We wanna line that up when our financial principles aren't lining up with glorifying God and, and Jesus' agenda. We gotta line those babies up, right? If you, we, we and, and, when, and at this point, what do we do? How do we reconcile this? Well, we kind of gradually do out. We, we begin to become disappointed with Jesus. We begin to kind of, you know, move him out of that front row seat, huh? He becomes kind of like a sidelight in our lives, huh? Get some things right. I'm just going to move forward here. Listen, we desire physical freedom. Jesus is bringing a spiritual freedom for you here today. Jesus is bringing you a peace. I want you to be driven by the spiritual and not the material. If you are driven by the material, you're going to catch the vision of getting. You're going to be looking to get so you can keep fueling your own agenda. If you catch the, 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 the spiritual, you're going to catch the vision of giving, right? Of, of giving, and you're going to be expanded in all sorts of ways. I even believe, from what I've seen, probably expanded materially as well. But I'm not going to tell you that's, you know, I, I, I want you to focus on the spiritual. Practically speaking, I think it just builds your character. It gives you a better outset on life. You make more, be better decisions. Christian and I, when we're working with our kids, we're teaching them a lot of these principles of Christ because we believe it's just, it, it's just good stuff, right? Um, Listen, give. Yesterday, we did an egg hunt, in, egg hunt in here. We did an egg hunt in here yesterday that was just so, so powerful. It was. I, 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 I drove home, I think, man, Dave, you are really, you are kicking this stuff around, man, Dave. Get ready to battle. I said, you are, Dave. You are, you really, you are we are tearing down the gates of hell here. People come in here that had never, ever been in a church building before in their life. People came in here, uh, neighbors of people that, that, that had kind of just scoffed at ever even thinking of the church, came in and said, you know what, I think I might come tomorrow, right? I mean, the positive stories, one after the other, of people being grateful, complimenting, drawing, it just was enormous. And I know that lives are being changed, and more lives are going to be changed, and people are going to be delivered, and people are going to have spiritual freedom. So we are battling. <laughs> We had, in the end, we had 20,000 eggs were in this place. Yeah, yeah. We, we had thousands of balloons. The night before, yeah, the night before, 55 people showed up to gather, right? And all this, what? They were giving of themselves. They weren't looking to get. They were looking to give. They were looking to believe in that in giving, they were going to be doing something great for God. William Carey, a missionary, said, do great things for God, expect great things from God. Yes? It's so true, man. It's why we do everything we do, huh? It's about living to get or living to give. I truly believe that living to give makes you a fortunate, parenthetically happy person. 
that first Palm Sunday, people were looking to get. They were looking for a king who was going to rise up, you know, who was going to deliver them from Rome. Jesus was rising up to save them from the reality of sin and Satan, our enemy, the adversary, which in, he enslaves people. He oppresses them to that way of being. He hinders them from having true freedom, spiritual freedom. You want to be on God's agenda. You want to be sensing and knowing the presence of God. You don't want to just be crying out, save now, like God. Yes, look, my meaning when there's something not well, my children, I'm praying. When, when, when there's a need in our lives, you know, physically, I'm, I'm praying, God, help me. For, for God, forgive me. God, help me. God. But first and foremost, and I, I want to know God. I begin my prayers with God. I'm so glad that you've given me this day. God, I'm so glad to be talking to you. God, I'm so glad to be aware of you. God, thank you. I want to have spiritual freedom. Because that opens the eyes of, of my heart. We want the spiritual freedom. So, Jesus says this morning to you, Palm Sunday, I want to save you spiritually. And here, as we close out here, and we're going to move. When you live this way, you trade fleeting payoffs for fulfilling payoffs. Right? Look, isn't it true that when it comes to physical stuff or financial stuff, you know, you got it, you delay what you might consider to be gratification for a greater purpose, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm working out now, I'm trying to lose weight, I'm getting in shape, and, and, and it's tough because, you know, I mean, come on, 20,000, we had 36,000 pieces of candy, and I didn't eat one stinking little piece of candy. It's like they were calling out to me, Dave, Dave. And then the Holy Spirit was saying, 35 calories each, 35. I actually went and checked. I was thinking, maybe they're five. 35 calories, you gotta be kidding me. It's just so smart, give me 35 calories. Let me read it again. Maybe it's like five. Five is 35 calories. One is 35 calories. And so, so I put it off. But I'm putting it off because you know what it is? I've, I've been having these little victories. And the more I have these victories, I'm teaching myself I can do it. And I, and I am praying to God about it and asking God to give me the strength and the fortitude because I believe this is deeply tied to where I'm at right now and in, in, in being your pastor and what's ahead. It's Yes, it's part of the Spartan race, but I put the Spartan race out there to step on my own neck because I believe that I needed to surrender and yield to God in several areas of my life. I need to give more. I need to take care, care of myself physically more. I need to be a better husband, a, a, a better dad, a better pastor. Because why? Because, because we're battling. We're in, we're in warfare right now. And so let me get out there. And so I know now that, you know what? Guess what? When I don't, eat, when I don't listen to those voices or those little candies, and, and I just remember what, where I'm going, if I, just, if I just move the right way and delay that gratification, what I'm doing is I'm not going to turn around and... and give up that victory for something fleeting and temporary for something that I know is fulfilling, right? I know now I'm going to feel better about myself. I am. I know now maybe people might be saying, oh, you know, you haven't seen me in a while. Wow, you, you look like you lost some weight. You're doing good. And that's kind of cool emotionally, you know, to get that. But I feel better about who I am, right? And this is fulfilling. It's a fulfilling payoff, right? Jesus modeled this principle. Instead of running away, and, and instead of being the king that people wanted, he traded this fleeting self-gratification for a greater fulfilling payoff. Huh? 
honoring and glorifying his Father in heaven and giving us a way to be reconciled to his Father in heaven. Listen. Recognize the presence of God and what he's doing. Recognize the fleeting versus the fulfilling of your life right now to help you with your future orientation. I believe God is calling us to do greater things. I really do believe with all my heart. I believe God is calling us. Who's us? Who's Chair City Church? Us. He's calling us to do greater things, to experience greater things. I, I believe that when we first started. I believe it when I was sitting in a parking lot. You know, that, 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 that there's just going to be things that are going to take place that are going to be beyond what I could think of. And it's happening. It's happening. From the, and the stories keep coming and coming and coming because they're divine stories, because they're divinely inspiring, the provisions, the resources, right? The stories all are, you can see, the, show the hand and the fingerprints of God on our life as a community of Christ followers. The stories we heard yesterday were just so fulfilling to me, deeply fulfilling. What is Easter? It's Jesus bringing us spiritual freedom. Worship team, why don't you come on up? It is, it's the evidence of Jesus. Easter is the evidence of Jesus choosing to go after fulfilling and not fleeting. That's the model Jesus has given you. Don't go after the fleeting, because the fleeting is what? It's going to be fueling your agenda and your perception and what you think you need. And in doing that, you're going to miss the presence of God. And then you're going to to get disappointed with God, and you're going to be in this kind of peculiar, unfortunate, clouded mix. Today, know the presence of God. Today, we pray that other people will recognize Jesus like we do. That's why we give you those invite cards. Hand them out to someone. Invite people to church on Easter. A big part of the reason why some people don't go, many people, is they were never invited. They were never invited. Invite someone to church on Easter. We have three services. And I, want, I, want, I want to listen up and I want to ask you something. Really, we don't know. We've never been at three services before. We'll come back after Easter to two services we are confident that we won't need to be at three on Easter. And so here's what I'm asking you to do to help manage. We're doing a lot of different things right now in this time of season. You'll see, you know, exploring with lights, whether it's the parking is significant out there. I appreciate all your cooperation with the parking. For our guests, you don't know, our volunteers come in, they're parking in the funeral home across the street, some park in the ice skating rink. We just want to make room for people, yeah. you know? Even us, our leaders, if, if we forget, we, we remind each other, hey, you got to park in a funeral home. Okay. My, my dear wife didn't park in the right place this morning. I, I'm sorry, I got to put you out there. <laughs> and I had her dad move her car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love you, lady. Really? So, we're, we're being, now here's what I want to ask you to do. There are three services next week, 830, 10, and 1130. Now, if you are coming with a guest and 10 is the best time for them to go, then you, you go with your guest. If you have a, a family commitment or, or, or something to do in your personal life with children and relationships and you have to go to 10, you go to 10. Okay, was that clear? All right. If it's a matter of preference that I'm encouraging you to go to 830, I'm not, did I say encouraging? 
Now, as your pastor, I'm asking you to go to 8.30 or 11.30 because I'm thinking that 10 o'clock is going to be kind of like a prime time. And we want to turn around and we want people to have a good experience. Look, we know each other. We've been connecting to each other. We, you know, we're bought into this, right? So we're not easily discouraged. Huh? So we can go to 8.30. And guess what? It's the same church at those times for you, right? We really go out of our way to make sure pretty much everything is virtually so near one to the other. So come to the 8.30 service. Come to the 11.30 service if it's a matter of preference. But come and you know what? I hope you got a guest and that guest wants to come at 10 o'clock. That's fantastic. I do think we're going to see a record number of people. We've, the highest number of people we've ever had was 440 people. I'm fairly confident that we are going to have more than 440 people on Easter Sunday. We'll have a record number of people. Now listen, and our heart is what? Why we do this? That people will know Jesus. That's our heart. That people will come to know Jesus and they will come, like I was telling people in the huddle this morning, great group of volunteers, they will come into a community of people who love God and love each other. Yes? I mean, really love God and really love and care for one another. Today I'm asking you, are you recognizing God's presence? Or could it be that God is right there in your midst? In the midst of your trial, your circumstances, the confusion, whatever it is, and you're missing him. This morning, I encourage you to desire God like you've never desired him before on this Palm Sunday. Ask yourself, am I joining God's kingdom or am I asking God to join my kingdom? Right? Where in your life this morning are you chasing the fleeting instead of the fulfilling in your life? Maybe today you want to make that trade and change from fleeting to fulfilling. Maybe today you want to know Jesus like God intended him to be known and really bask in his presence and today gain spiritual freedom. To God be the glory. Happy Palm Sunday.